welcome to Restitch America, a podcast about restoring civility, strengthening patriotism, and rebuilding unity in America. My name is Almohini Opari. I'm very excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode number one of Restitch America. Today is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little different because um, I'm going to take my time today to introduce myself to help you understand a little more about who I am. And I know many of you are coming to me from a lot of different locations on social media. And so you have heard a little bit of my story, but for those who have not, I want to take this opportunity to share a little bit about where I come from and how I got to where I am today. Once again, my name is Alma Orheni Opari. It's going to take a little bit of getting used to, <laughs> and I'm hoping that you can you know, practice a little bit and get used to mentioning my name. So once again, I'll say it slower. It's Alma Orheni Opari. So the name comes from Ghana, and many of you know I'm from Ghana originally, and Ghana is in West Africa, if you didn't know that. <laughs> I actually have an experience that happened to me a while back when I came to the U.S. So I went to my first dance, and when I got there, I met this girl that I, I danced with, and this was at BYU in, here in Utah. As we were dancing, you know, she asked me where I was from. I said, Ghana, and the next question was, she said, where is that? <laughs> and I said, um, it's a small town in Wyoming. <laughs> and she was just, actually, she believed me because she asked if I was a farmer. <laughs> and so Ghana is in West Africa. And I came here in 2003 as a missionary for my church. And I've been here pretty much ever since. And so I have two brothers and three sisters. Uh, one of my brothers is in Ghana with his family, and all my sisters are in Ghana as well. The only person here in the U.S. with me is my older brother, who lives in Idaho right now. My family has always been entrepreneurs. That's that's kind of their, their thing. My mom was an entrepreneur all her life. Uh, she started private schools, and so I grew up attending my mom's private school. I graduated high school at 16, and when I did, um, I wanted to come to the U.S. to go to college, but my parents thought I was too way too young to come to the U.S. by myself. And so she actually hired me as a teacher in her school. So I became a teacher at 16, teaching computer skills and English to kids from K to ninth grade. And so I think part of my eloquence, part of it is definitely, you know, a gift. And I think I get that from my mom. My mom was a person who could talk in any situation you put her in. She was very eloquent. And so I get a little bit of that from my mom, but I also got um, a lot of experience teaching at a very young age. That's how I've been able to hone my ability to communicate eloquently. So this year, uh, something happened. So about eight years ago, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember when we heard the news, when she got ready to receive surgery, and, and she was in Ghana at the time. So um, I called that morning on her mor the morning of her mastectomy in Ghana, and we were speaking to the doctors and, and asking what was going to happen and everything. We were asking about, you know, is she going to be all right? Is she going to come out of it, you know, fine? And it was then that they told us that they thought that she had a 50-50 chance. And so we were completely flabbergasted. It was like 50-50. This was the anesthesiologist saying to us, I don't know, it's a 50-50 chance that I'll be able to bring her back out of the anesthesia. We thought, that doesn't make any sense. 
And so it was a Sunday where the surgery was going to take place. And so I called my mom and I said, nope, I don't think you should do this because I, I don't like those odds. And I think it would be much better here in the U.S. And so we actually bought a ticket for her that same day. And then on Tuesday of that same week, she was on a plane over here to the U.S. And we were able to get her here, find a doctor, and they were able to do her mastectomy without any issue. And so I think by bringing her here, we extended her life for another eight years. And so this year, I, I remember, you know, she, it seemed like her cancer had come back. And so I decided to go back home. And I remember calling her and telling her, I'm going to come home and, you know, come help around a little bit. And she told me, I don't want you to come home. She said, hey, rather than coming home, why don't you, the money you're going to use to buy the ticket, why don't you just send that money over. I remember my wife was listening to the conversation and she said, no, you are going home. You're going home to see your mom. And I told her, mom, I'm coming home. And so I, I got my ticket and got on a plane on April 15. I got home on April 15. When I saw her, I knew that, you know, something was wrong. But as a positive person, you know, I tried to kind of push any negative emotions out of my mind and, you know, spend time with her. And I saw that she was doing everything she could to be with us and to spend time with her kids and grandkids. And I remember on Easter Sunday, you know, I made her some food. She ate. I, I actually took an Instant Pot <laughs> over to Ghana. And so I had the Instant Pot. And so I made her some food in the Instant Pot. It was, it was great. And she had some, some potato soup made by me. <laughs> After that, the next day, she had all her grandkids come over. Some of the kids had their violins, and so they played some music for her. They played Ode to Joy. It was an awesome experience. And we didn't know what was coming next, right? And this was not, nobody knew and nobody was planning that this was going to be the end for her. But we woke up the next morning, just like every other morning, and things went south really quickly. And so long story short, I got home on April 15. And on April 19, my mom passed away. So I had the ability to spend at least four days with her before she passed. And I was immediately transformed into <laughs> the person that had to plan and help plan everything and make sure that everything was set up. And so my sister and I, my sisters and I just jumped into gear and started the process of planning her funeral. And so I was able to honor her in a very special way. It was a great experience. We had a lot of people show up at her funeral because of her schools. She had impacted so many thousands of children. She had run the school for 33 years. The weekend of her burial was actually the 33rd anniversary of the starting of her school. It's been hard, but I'm, I'm glad that bringing her to the U.S. gave us another eight years with her. And I know she's in a better place. I'm a Christian. I know she lived a good life and and I expect to see her again. And so that's a little bit about, you know, my background. You know, as we go along, I mean, I learned so much from my mom. Uh, she always had this, this thing she would say. Um, and I think I've said this before in social media. She always told me, it is better to be trusted than to be loved. That was something that I always remember from her. And and so as we go through this podcast, as you get to know me more, you will hear some nuggets from my mom every now and then. She actually gave me my love for America because she had the opportunity to come to America as an exchange student when she was in her senior year of high school. 
And so she lived in upstate New York. And so all growing up, she had these albums with a lot of pictures from all these experiences she had in the U.S. And so that's where my love for America started. And in, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to come to America because of her and all the stories she would tell us. After she returned from the U.S., she, I think she came back in about 1979. She would speak about America as if she went there like you know, a day, a day before, like she would, every time she would, she would talk, she would be like, when I was in the States, I did this and that. <laughs> and so that's something we, we used to tease her about, but uh, she had the opportunity to come back here many more times um, before her passing. So she gave me my love for America and I miss her terribly, even though we didn't always get along. <laughs> I miss her terribly. So I'm married, as many of you know, I've been married for 16 years. My wife is from Ghana as well. We met when we were young and we got married in 2006. So now we have four kids, two boys and two girls. So that's me. That's my life. If you have any questions, you can email the show. You can email the show at contactus at restitchamerica.com. So if you have any questions, just email them to that and I'll take a moment every show to answer questions from the audience. So just go to contact us at restitchamerica.com. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Okay, so yesterday, some of you saw my video about my very first time voting. Prior to going to vote, I saw a video of someone saying, you know, how our votes don't matter in a lot of situations because of the way congressional maps are drawn because of gerrymandering, because of all sorts of different things. A lot of times our votes don't matter. And I was thinking about that and I thought it matters to me. And why does it matter to me? Because I've waited 18 years for this, for this privilege to exercise that right. And so for me, it matters. And irrespective of the results, I wanted to go and I wanted to exercise my right. And, and that's what I did yesterday. I woke up, I was very excited. I, I had so much pent up anxiety <laughs> and excitement. And I just wanted to get there and have a great experience. So I woke up, I took on my shirt. So if you saw my video, I was wearing a shirt that said, I'm proud of my American privilege. My kids were very excited for me as well. So I had my kids help me put up the American flag in front of the house. I got my wife in the car and we drove to the polling station. And when I got there, I recorded that experience. So go, if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. It's also on um, Instagram and TikTok. If you're not following me there, please go and do so. I got in there and I was able to record the whole experience down to putting my ballot in the machine and having my vote count for the very first time. I'm in Utah, so I voted for Mike Lee <laughs> for Senate. And so I'm glad that he came out on top and uh, we expected that, but he gave us a little bit of a scare with, you know, the challenger but I was very excited that, you know, it all went well. But my voting experience, I thought, was really amazing. From the response that I've, I've been getting from the video that I posted, what it shows me is that there are people in America who, because they've lived here for a long time or they were born here, it's so easy to take for granted the rights that you have. It's, it's just so easy to, to lose that excitement about exercising your rights. I want to bring that back. I want Americans to feel excited because there are so many places in the world today that don't have those experiences. And for part of my life, I lived under a military dictatorship. And so I understand what it means to have the right to vote and not just vote in a sham election, but to vote in an election 
where your voice actually gets heard. And so it was a really wonderful experience for me and it's gonna be something that I cherish for a very long time. Now to the other elephant in the room, <laughs> I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about election results, but what is important to me is the way we're able to communicate with the people who are on the other side of our political spectrum. And I think that's something that needs a lot of help in America. I think political communication needs a lot of help. And that's something I'm hoping to help with. I want to be able to talk to people on the other side of the political aisle and be able to have constructive conversations with them in a way that we can come to some understanding as to what issues are really driving their choices when they go to the poll. And to truly understand what we have in common, that's the most important thing to me. The reason I call the show Restitch America is because I believe that we have strayed so far apart that now I hear people say things like, I don't care who is on the other ballot. I really don't care as long as they're blue or I really don't care as long as they're red. I don't think that others will for our republic if people are completely ignoring the people who represent them just to choose someone who has a certain color jersey on. When I watch soccer with my five-year-old and he loves, he's obsessed with soccer. When I watch soccer with him, especially when we're watching a game where we don't have a team. So we have a team that we support but every now and then we watch games where neither of our teams are playing. And so he would always turn to me and say, who are we supporting? And I would look and say, well, I don't know, especially if no goals have been scored yet. I look at that and I say, okay, we need to pick a side. Sometimes we, we decide to pick because of the color of the jersey. We decide to pick because of, you know, other things, but there's no thought to it. And I feel like elections have almost become that way, where people are reflexively choosing something without actually doing any kind of deep analysis of it. And being on Twitter, I know Twitter is not real life, but just listening to the arguments that people make, where people are like, I will never vote Democrat, or I will never vote Republican. I want to understand that kind of mindset. I want to understand what goes into it. You know, is that decision kind of undergirded by some principle that you hold so dearly that you can't, you know, overcome. I want to understand that. And hopefully we'll be able to get people on the show who can help us have that conversation. And that's my goal. I don't want this to be an echo chamber for my beliefs. What I want to do is to bring both sides together and hopefully we can have an audience that is diverse, as diverse as this country, so that we can get to understand in a civil discussion what people are thinking on each side of the aisle. Because at the end of the day, what is the goal? What, what do we want to achieve? I don't believe my goal in life is for all Democrats to disappear. I mean, that's not my goal. And I hope that their goal is not for all Republicans to disappear. And so if that is not our goal, then we have to understand that there will be Democrats, there will be Republicans, we will win elections, we will lose elections. But the goal is to strengthen and keep our republic united. That is the goal, or that should be the goal. And hopefully, we're both coming up with ideas that drive us towards that goal. You know, I, I'm just one person, but I know that I can make a difference. And, and with you, we can make a difference in that conversation. And so I want you to start from today, taking off the armor, the shield, all the different things that we, we block ourselves with, to say, I can't listen to this or I can't listen to that. Let's start removing those blockers and let's start opening our eyes because the person on your, your left side who is voting for something else is just as human as you are. They bleed the same way. And if they do, 
then we want to get close to them. We want to understand what their concerns are. And if we can help drive their concerns to a solution, then maybe in the end, you know, the goal is not necessarily to get them to vote a certain way. But in the end, if our country is moving forward, that's what is most important. And I hope that we can, we can get to that place. The other day I was thinking about creating some public service ads or something like that. And the thought just came to my mind. And I remember I was driving with my wife and I had to stop and write it down. Imagine an ad on TV. This ad shows, let's say, someone driving down the street and they see someone with a flat tire and they stop their car and they go and they help the person. And then after they help the person, they hug, they they say their goodbyes, they get the person on the way. And then imagine the camera takes them both back to their homes. And as they get onto, into their homes, they jump on their computers. And then you see them, you know, logging onto Twitter. And then there is some political thing going on. And suddenly these two people who in real life would help each other suddenly jump on Twitter. And now they're calling each other names without even knowing that in real life they would help each other. They would hug each other. Okay. Think about that disconnect. And I think that's the disconnect we have in the country. Because in real life, I think most Americans are loving. Most Americans want to help each other. Most Americans want to, to be good examples. Most Americans are not enemies. And yet we have created these chambers of war where we go in and we find ourselves fighting the person that would have been our neighbor or the person who would have been our helper in real life. When I see that, it just bothers me so much because I know that this republic if it is lost, I don't know where we would go for refuge. Where is the place that we would go to, to receive the kind of freedoms and rights that we have here? And so I want to change that. I want people to be able to look at each other and say, this person is my brother. This person is my friend. I don't have to hate them. Maybe they have some ideas that are different from mine. But if anything at all, my goal should be to love them enough for them to see what I see. Because you can't hate somebody into believing what you believe. It doesn't work. Hate is not a good vehicle for changing hearts and minds. It's a terrible vehicle for that. A lot of people who have changed their minds about one side or the other are people who have been shown love, who have been shown empathy. And, and that means we have to change the way we speak. And I know a lot of people who have listened to me have said how they felt it was refreshing the way I speak because I choose my words very carefully and my goal is not to attack anybody. I know I can still talk about things I believe in and definitely there will be disagreements here and there. But my goal is to look at everybody as a potential convert to my way of seeing things. And so if they're a potential convert, my goal is to love them, love them enough for them to let down the guard so they can begin to see things as I do. And I hope that we can start that again, that we can not just kind of live in our own bubbles, but create bubbles that are big enough to fit other people who have other ideas, other thoughts. Now, a lot of things are happening in our country that sometimes we may look at as, you know, this is, I can't compromise on this thing or that thing. And, and I get that. And that's fine. We have to be able to draw our lines bright in the, in, in the sand, especially when it comes to things involving our kids and our kids' education. There are so many things happening in the country that we need to stand against. However, the way we do that is to first step back and understand and, and kind of see clearly what others are seeing. And the way I've described this in the past, if you've listened to some of my other podcast interviews is I've thought about it this way. So this year I bought an Oculus, one of those VR headsets. It's now called the MetaQuest. It taught me a really important lesson. There is a game in the in the Oculus that is called the Plank Experience. And I, if you go on YouTube, 
and you search for Plank Experience videos, you're going to see a lot of these videos. Now, what this game taught me was about perspective. Now, when you put on those headsets, you suddenly lose your perspective of the real world. And you're now seeing a completely different world. And in that world, you are on an elevator going up 10 stories high. And when the elevator door opens, there's a plank in front of you. And the plank is very narrow. And the goal is for you to walk onto the plank. And from the VR perspective, you are 10 stories high. And any wrong move would cause you to tumble down onto the ground to your death. Now, a couple of minutes ago before you put on that VR headset, you knew that the ground was solid. You knew that you were not going to fall. However, in a couple of minutes, when that perspective changes, suddenly everything changes. Your emotions change, your heart rate changes. You, you start to sweat, you start to feel anxiety, even though you knew a couple of minutes ago that the ground was solid. Now, once you start going on this path, your friends and family usually come from side to side and try to push you off. And it's kind of funny. And when you see people and their reactions to being pushed off this fictional ledge, it's, a, it's as if they're fighting for their very real lives. And as I looked at that, I thought, no amount of telling them they're not going to fall seems to help. Because from their perspective, they're going to fall. And so if you were to solve that problem for them, you couldn't just say, well... I know that you are not going to fall. And so I expect you to know that too. You can't do that because their perspective is completely different. The only way you can help them is to change their perspective. And the only way you can do that is to get close enough to them to help them take off that headset. Okay? So think about this in, in real life. That is exactly what we need to do. We need to love people enough to get close enough to them to help them see things from our perspective to change the perspective that they have if we believe that perspective is not accurate, right? And if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to love people, you can't change people from afar. And if you're going around the world with your you know, torch of liberty and you're bashing people in the head with that torch of liberty, you're not going to make any friends. I know it's hard. I know, you know sometimes we think this should be obvious to everybody, right? Why is it not obvious? Why, why can't they see what we see. Why can't they see that America is not, you know, systemically racist or America is not, you know, op oppressive? Of course, we have things in our past that we should not deny. However, as a country today, we have made more strides than any other place in the world for human freedom. And that is important. But in order to help people see that perspective, we have to love them enough to get close enough to them, for them to trust us enough to be willing to look at it from a different angle. And that's what I'm hoping to do. That's that's what I hope to bring to the conversation in America. I want to change our conversation. I want to, to lead us back into a place where we can stand each other in the same room and we can actually begin to start talking about solutions to the problems we face in this country. And I don't care if a good idea comes from a Democrat. I don't care if a good idea comes from a Republican or an ind Independent. If it is a good idea, the idea will stand by itself. And we have to get out of this mindset that, you know, this was proposed by a Democrat, so automatically it can't be right. Or this was proposed by a Republican, so automatically it can't be right. We have to get out of that and, and judge things as they are by their own merit, not necessarily by their association. One thing that really bothers me about Congress is the fact that sometimes they may have a good idea from a Republican Let's say if the Democrats are in charge, 
They may have a really good idea from a Republican, but you know what they do? Sometimes they will say, well, we can't have this idea passed and give that credit to a Republican. So you know what we're going to do? We're not going to implement this good idea because we want to do it from our side. We want to take the credit for it. Now think about that. That's dysfunctional. That doesn't make any sense. If it is a good idea, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. We can embrace it together, but we've created this world where if someone tells you this is the medicine you need to take to heal you, you'd rather choose to suffer because you want the medicine to come from somebody else so that another person can't take credit for it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And we need to get out of that kind of mindset, whether on the right or on the, on the left, and be able to identify good ideas and good solutions, not based on just what we think the impact is going to be, but we need to embrace good ideas based on their results, based on results, not just based on our intentions. Good ideas need to be judged based on the results. And that's where I'm hoping that we can be. And so if I can do anything to help that conversation, that is what I want to do. I wish that in 10 years, we can wake up in America and say, we have done something different. We have embraced unity. We have seen a change in the way we interact with each other. I don't know if I can do it alone, but I want to start. I want people to wake up in the morning and feel proud to be American. You know, I want people to wake up, especially our youth, to, to recognize the privilege that they have to be American, to be born in this country, to have the full faith, credit, power of America there to help them if they need help. And I want people who today are looking at us and saying, you know, why are we poor? Why, why is this happening? Why, why are all these things dysfunctional in our country? I want those people to be able to look back and say, we came together, we identified the problems, we, we let go of the platitudes, and we worked together to solve our problems. I want to take the next couple of minutes to talk about the, the principles and values that I believe should undergird this new movement forward in America. And when I came here, I didn't know the difference between conservative and liberal and libertarian and, and socialist and all those things. Those were things that I didn't worry about in Ghana. Actually, in Ghana, the only thing we cared about was which party could actually get problems solved. That's all we cared about. When I came to America, I realized that there was a lot more because a lot of the actions that we see are all rooted in certain ideologies and certain thoughts about the way the world works. And so my journey to where I am today started by investigating what principles and values mattered to me. As I did that, I realized that if we can take those principles and values and apply them in every facet of our society, I think we can find ourselves in a better place in the future. So I want to share those principles and values with you. So the first one is freedom of speech and religion. Now, of course, this is in our Constitution, in the First Amendment of the Constitution, to have freedom of speech and religion. That's really important. I believe that freedom of speech and the free exercise of religion are crucial to the progress and survival of a civilized society. That is important because without the ability to speak your mind, there's no real ability to actually exercise your freedom. Because in the, in the speaking of your mind is when your ideas are able to be heard. And if your ideas cannot be heard, how do you exercise your freedom? Um, I grew up in a country where freedom of speech was not always guaranteed. And people actually had consequences from the government for speaking against the government. And there are many countries today where people can't speak against their government. But we are unique. Even in some Western countries, 
you can't say certain things. I believe that in order for our republic to thrive, we need to protect freedom of speech and the free exercise of religion. Second principle is equal justice and rule of law. Many of us came to this country because we wanted the rule of law. Millions of us came from places where you couldn't trust anything from the justice system. And I know there are problems in America that we need to tackle together, but I believe of all the places on earth, America probably has the best justice system. I believe equal justice and the rule of law is important and crucial to the continued thriving of our country. The next uh, principle that I believe in is equal opportunity. Now, hear me, I didn't say equal outcome. I said equal opportunity. We believe each individual deserves an equal opportunity to lawfully pursue personal success in any way they see fit. So when I think about, you know, let's say kids growing up in the inner city, how can we get them an equal opportunity to pursue happiness? The next principle that I believe in is personal responsibility. I believe that able-bodied adults must be primarily responsible for their own welfare and the welfare of their families. So of course I understand that there will be people who are not able to. And that's why I say able-bodied adults. I believe if we do have a welfare system, that system should be very tactical and strategic to getting people back on their feet rather than keeping them enslaved to the government teeth. The next one is limited government. I believe effective and accountable government can only be achieved when the government is limited to its constitutional prerogatives. The way I've thought about it is the bigger the government, the smaller the people. There's an inverse relationship between the size of the government and the value of the individual life in the country. So the bigger the government, the smaller the people. And so in order to truly hold up to individual rights and freedoms, the government must be small enough to recognize that individual. Otherwise, you get crushed by the government. So we need limited government. The next one is, I say, life, liberty, and happiness. I believe all people have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. However, they do not have a right or a guarantee to success. The only way you can guarantee success is to take people's freedoms away. And so what is the trade-off? Would you give up your freedom for some government-sanctioned success? I don't think so. I wouldn't. I'd rather be free. So those are the six principles that I believe in. So I have six values as well. So the first one is family. I believe strong families are crucial to the progress of civil society and that children deserve to be raised in stable and loving homes. Today, I feel like there is a concerted effort to kind of break up the family. And we're getting ideas about alternative family arrangements and so on and so forth. But the family as a unit of society is so crucial that if you mess with the family, you mess with society. Second value is charity. I believe that it is our calling and privilege to be charitable and to care for the poor, the needy, and the disadvantaged among us. And then the next one is dignity and self-esteem. I believe dignity and self-esteem can be cultivated by empowering individuals to take responsibility for their own well-being and success. It's crucial to a person's self-esteem for them to have a job, for them to have a means to provide for their own success. All right, next principle is courage. I believe moral and intellectual courage will be critical to the preservation of the American way of life in the coming decade. Today, we have cancel culture. We have all sorts of things happening. What we need is courage because we can't be afraid to stand up for our rights. We can't be afraid to speak 
about the things that are happening in our lives. We can't be afraid to run for office, to start a podcast. We can't be afraid to do the things that are necessary to bring our country back to its great glory. Honesty is the next principle. I believe honesty in government, in business, and at home is necessary to building the trust required to defend our freedom. One of the most important things in any kind of society is trust. If you can't trust the person on the street, how do you walk freely? If you're in New York City in the subway system and you can't trust the person standing next to you to not push you onto the tracks, how do you have freedom? So we need to build honesty and trust among each other, even with our politicians and so on. I know it's hard, but it is possible. And then finally, faith and optimism. I believe that faith and optimism work hand in hand to fuel the passion required to excel in a competitive world. So faith and optimism is really important. I wake up every day, and I, many of you know me by my social media handle, Willful Positivity. I choose to be positive, not because the world is always positive, not because there are no challenges in the world. I choose to be positive because I believe I can infuse into the world a catalyst for change, a catalyst for optimism. And I, I take upon myself that responsibility to wake up and say, hey, the world needs a little bit of positivity and I can be a supplier of positivity. So I call it willful positivity because I believe that this is something that we have to generate inside ourselves. There's a proverb, African proverb that goes like this. It says, happiness is like a perfume. You have to put it on yourself for others to appreciate it. And so the same way, I want to go into the world with that perfume of optimism like with that perfume of positivity, so I can infuse that into the world. And I think we can all do that. Now imagine millions of people doing that in America and going into the world, seeking to infuse the world with positivity. I think it sounds cheesy, but it is possible. My hope is that we can, we can get to a place where if you follow me and you listen to me for a while, you get to the place where you can do that too. I want to wrap up by sharing a little bit about how I think these podcast episodes are going to go. The way it's going to go every week, and right now we're only doing once a week because I have so many other things on my plate right now. And so if you guys support this podcast, maybe in the next few months, I, I could be able to do this full time. <laughs> but for now, it's going to be once a week. And so this is how I expect each episode to go. So today was a little different because I was kind of introducing everything. But starting next week, the way it's going to go is this. I will start the first few minutes with a monologue. And that monologue is going to be based off of an African proverb. So right now I just shared an African proverb with you. I have a book with hundreds of African proverbs, and they're so amazing with the kind of knowledge and information they give. So I want to kind of hearken back to my African heritage and kind of share with you some of the nuggets of wisdom that have been gathered over the years. Every podcast episode, I'm going to share an African proverb and I'm going to have a monologue around it. And then after that, we're going to talk about some of the news of the day. And one of the things I don't want to do is to be bogged down on you know, individual stories because I don't necessarily want to be tied to everything that is happening because I think the change that we need in this country usually is counter to whatever conversation is happening in the media. And so I'm going to select stories that I believe have an impact either in highlighting the principles and values that I've talked about or kind of showing what happens when those principles and values are not applied. So those are the kinds of stories I'm going to bring to you. So we'll talk a little bit about the news of the day. And then I want to have a segment where we, I call it the culture war segment. 
<laughs> there's a lot of culture war going on right now. And so what we'll do is identify things online that is driving a lot of conversation. And we're going to talk about those a little bit. Um, and another thing I want to do also is to invite people to come onto the show to talk to us about, you know, their perspective on different things. And so as part of that culture war segment, every now and then, if we can get somebody to show up, we will invite people to come over and talk to us about some of the things that they're seeing, because I don't want this to just be about me. I want I want us to hear other perspectives as well. And so I want to bring people here, not to fight, not to bash, but to actually have a civil conversation. Because the goal, as I said in the beginning, was for us to truly understand what the other side is thinking and see how we can help people see the, the way we see things. So that even if we don't vote the same, my hope is that we are voting for the same results, even if we don't vote for the same person. And then finally, I'm going to have an Ask Me Anything segment. Throughout the week, and I gave that email, contact us at restitchamerica.com. You can send your questions to that email, and we will look through those questions, and we will select some that we can answer. And these questions can be about anything. So you can, it could be a, you know asking me a question about my life, or it could be something philosophical as well. So anything about what is happening in the country and so on. And I'm going to take some time to answer you know three or four of those every week. So that's how the show is going to go. It's going to have a monologue, the news of the day, the culture war segment, and the ask me anything segment. So that's how I plan it to be. But as I said before, this is a work in progress. So if we start and we, we see an opportunity to make adjustments to make the show better, my goal is to listen to your voice and to bring you what I think you need to make your day more positive. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. This is episode one. This is the beginning of something wonderful, and I'm glad you're here for it. But one thing I need you to do really importantly is to share this. You know, give us a five-star review on this podcast and share with your friends and family and, and share with even people that you feel are on the other side. Okay. Because once again, I don't want this to be an echo chamber. And, and another thing I, I wanted to end with is this. When we finish each episode, my goal is to not just leave you all pent up with all this energy and all this inspiration. The goal is to figure out what you're going to do in the real world based on the principles and the thoughts that we've shared on this show. So the, the final part of the show would be to, to give you a challenge for the week so that you can go and actually practice the things that you're hearing in the real world. So you can be that person who is helping the old lady with her groceries so that you can be that person who chooses not to have that insult online. So I'm, I'm going to challenge you because I want you to be better. I want my life to be better. I want you to be better as a person. So let's plan for that. Next week, we'll have our next episode. Um, I plan to drop an episode every Wednesday. And so join me every Wednesday. It's probably going to drop around noon. So subscribe to the podcast and set up all your notifications so you can get the episode when it drops. And I want to thank you so much for all the support I've received it's just been about a year since I started speaking out publicly, and I can't believe the impact we've had up till this point. I have so many ideas that I want to bring up, so this is just the beginning, and I thank you so much for everything. We'll talk to you next episode. Thank you for listening to episode one of Restitch America. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star review. 